Here's what we've been talking about. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and His ministry and what it means to walk with Him in intimacy. And we've been looking at Galatians 5, which is one of the major texts that talks about this relationship we have with the Holy Spirit and what it means to walk with Him. Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite authors. Anybody that's serious about contemplative spirituality, pick up books written by Henry Nouwen. And he said this. He said that the discipline of the Christian life is not to master anything, but rather to be mastered by the Spirit. And then there's a second sentence, which is critical for us this morning. True Christian discipline is the human effort to create space in which the spirit of Christ can transform us into his image. And just leave that up there. True Christian discipline is a human effort. Can I just clarify something for us? Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. Sometimes we think, well, grace just means we don't have to try. We don't have to do anything. God just gives it to us as a gift. Grace, and I think it was Dallas Willard who said this, grace isn't opposed to effort. What grace is opposed to is earning. This spiritual life we're talking about takes enormous effort. You better believe it. It's not an easy life. It takes enormous effort, grace-driven effort. And as we've been continually talking about what it means to walk in him, well, grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So it's a human effort to create space, which we said, space in which the Spirit of Christ can transform us into his image. The big theme that we've been trying to come around, and I am sorry if you're walking in for the first time, because this is a big, big statement that needs tons of time to unpack, but we've been unpacking it. And that is this, the Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us this Christian life for us. We've been saying that the Christian life as God called us to live is not possible on our own. It's not. And it's not the life that God intended that we would try on our own. Jesus himself said in his last times with his disciples this in John chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Why do you need a helper? Because we need help to be with you forever. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. At moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and our souls and our lives and resides there permanently to do this work within us of transformation that we cannot do on our own. And he empowers us to live this life. Now this, this truth that the Spirit lives inside of us is so critical to the Christian life that the apostle flat out says in Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. The rest of the New Testament then talks about how our relationship with the Holy Spirit is either we're walking according to the Spirit or we're walking according to the flesh. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, 3, 
For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's one part of the gospel we talk a lot about here. Christ does for us what we cannot do on our own. He lives the life we should have lived and dies the death we should have died. But it doesn't just end there and God goes, now it's up to you. He then says, who do not then walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. For those who live or walk according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their mindset on the things of the spirit. And every single one of us this morning walked in here having lived Monday through Sunday this morning, either walking according to the spirit or walking according to the flesh, Christian or not. What does it mean than to walk according to the Spirit. There's a big definition. In Galatians 5, Paul says where we've been. So turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, if you will. And we're going to spend two more Sundays on the most critical components of Galatians 5 as we unpack now what it means to walk according to the Spirit or the flesh and the results or the fruit of that. Verse uh, 16 of chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? Let's put this definition up here. A couple more Sundays we'll be spending on it. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate our entire being. Does this characterize you? Does this characterize our life this week? Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. So the last three Sundays, I've gotten lots of email from folks saying, how do I know that the promptings are from God? Anybody else ask that question? How do I know that the inner promptings are from God? (laughs) And the problem is that some of us in the church, I don't know where we get this from, but we get some unbiblical notions of how we know that certain promptings are from God. Let me give you an example. I was told when I was in college from someone that when you have a restlessness in your spirit, that means that you are outside the will of God. Okay, confession. I am type A, driven, overly analytical person who is always restless. Drives my wife crazy. I have this engine and motor that just... Does anybody relate? Anybody relate? I'm constantly restless. So which restlessness is from God and which restlessness is from my freaky personality? I still don't know. Some people talk about peace in your heart. Now that to me is the most disturbing of all, by the way, in the church. How we talk about, well, I just had peace in my heart. Because here's what I've heard 25 plus years of being a pastor. I've heard people say, some of the stupidest decisions I've ever made, I had total peace about. See, what sin has done to us, please listen, is that some of the things where we are totally outside the will of God will be completely at peace about and vice versa. Some of the things in which we are smack in the center of God's will will cause fear, anxiety. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I had no peace planting this church 14 years ago. I was afraid. I was anxious. 
and I look at Jesus on Mount Gethsemane, the night before he is to be crucified, knowing that he is fulfilling the will of God. He is what? He is what? He is what? He is anxious. And then, of course, there's a whole open doors, which again to me is, how do you know certain doors are open doors from the Lord and open doors from the enemy? Because here's what I see in scripture. What sometimes we look at as open doors are not really from God, but from the enemy. Prime example is Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh. He wants to go the opposite way. Jonah chapter one, he walks up to the harbor to get this ticket and he goes, do you have any tickets going to the opposite direction of Nineveh and the Bible literally says and there happened to be there happened to be a ship going to Tarshish can you imagine Jonah saying there's a ship going on the opposite direction well Jehovah Jireh my provider it must be the will of God open doors can sometimes be from the enemy so how do you know How do I know which promptings are from the Lord, which promptings are not? How do you and I, and this is important, gain sensitivity to his promptings on a daily basis? You ready? You ready? You ready? Here it is. Open your Bibles. (laughs) If you want to learn to walk according to the Spirit, get on your knees. And open the Bible. This isn't rocket science. There is a direct correlation between, I'm telling you right now, our ability to be sensitive to his promptings, sensitive to his voice, and sensitive to his leading, and our relationship with his revealed written word. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is a correlation between you right now and me right now and our ability to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's supernatural promptings and leadings and our immersion, our devotion, our commitment to his written word. You say, how does that work? Two ways real quick and then we need to move on. One is this. In scripture, you find the ways in which God has already revealed himself and spoken over all of these generations. You find in scripture the ways that God has spoken in the past, including he speaks through wise counsel. He speaks through people. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through visions and dreams. Yes, he does speak through supernatural manifestations. He also speaks through whispers. You remember Elijah? So becoming familiar with the ways in which God has spoken in the past will help you discern the ways that he might be speaking in the present. But there's another way in which the Holy Spirit uses the word. How is that? The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. He wrote it. 
He wrote the Bible. Do you remember 2 Peter 1? We're doing just brief doctrinal work here. 2 Peter 1.19. We also have the prophetic message is something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We actually believe, Christians, that the Holy Spirit guided each of the human authors fully utilizing their personality and background to write the very words of God. Every detail in scripture is accurate. Every promise true. All 66 books full of them. God has spoken clearly in his word. And then giving us the Bible, it's like God was saying, you have access to something I wrote in which I have revealed the innermost parts of who I am and what I'm like. And just for good measure, I put my spirit inside of you to make that real to you. Hello? And God says, I have given you something that reveals the ways in which I work. So as we immerse ourselves in his personal revelation, by going deeper and deeper into it, we begin to think like God thinks, and then eventually begin to do as God does. Does that make sense? See, if there's anybody, oh gosh. If there's anybody sitting here saying, how do I discern God's personal will? I loved, I loved what my sister Tricia said. She said, she just threw it out there. You know, we, I felt his leading. And you're sitting here this morning, some of you going, I have some decisions to make. And I need to know his personal will for my life. Do I, do, I, do I move to Miami or stay in Chicago? You don't have to pray about that. Remember I told you that two weeks ago, you're supposed to stay in Chicago, okay? <laughs> Every time. Am I supposed to date Bob or Rob? Neither, by the way. Um, is it supposed to be this ministry? We have all these questions about God's personal. And Christians, again, do some dumb things. Because we somehow think, well, I need to show it. So I'm going to open the Bible and do the close my eyes and point and all this other stuff. Do you know what the Bible says about how you go about discerning his personal will for you? You'd be surprised. Because the Bible over and over again has nothing to say about Miami, Chicago, him, her, there, that. It has nothing to say about God's personal direction for you. Well, you know what the Bible says over and over again? When you find the phrase, the will of God, listen to this. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. First Thessalonians 4, 13, it is God's will that you should be sanctified over and over and over again. Whenever you find the will of God or God's will in the Bible, it talks about the kind of person you should be and not the kinds of things you should do. Do you know why? Because as you become the kind a person that God wants you to be, you will begin to do what God wants you to do.
This is so powerful and challenging for me. Because like half of us in here this morning are going, I can't remember the last time I disciplined myself over long stretches to immerse myself in his word. And then we're wondering why sometimes we live directionless, aimless lives. Like, what's going on? What's going on? How do I know God? And God says, I've given you my personal revelation. Get to know me. Get to know who I am. Get to know my ways. Because as you do, then these decisions that you have, you begin to think like I think and begin to do as I do. And then we talked about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual breathing. Let's all do this together this morning, church. Come on, come on. And by the way, it's been so encouraging hearing those of you guys say, I'm trying to do this exercise. Remember what we talked about. Here's how we, here's how we appropriate the Spirit's empowerment. We said, first of all, we breathe out and confess, I can't. So, I can't. I can't. God, I can't handle a temptation. I can't love her like I need to love her. I can't, I, I can't. We confess and acknowledge our inability. And then we breathe in the Spirit's filling. Thank you, CC, for singing that song. <gasps> fill me, fill me, fill me. Fill me, God, with your Spirit's empowerment. <sighs> I can't, <gasps> but you can. <sighs> I can't, <gasps> but you can. Every time we pause, we acknowledge and confess, <sighs> I can't. We're creating space for the Holy Spirit to fill. And then we say, but you can't. And by faith, appropriate. Faith is simply trusting that God will do as he promised. It's not something we drum up inside. It's believing that. So as we create space and saying, fill me. I can't do this. The Holy Spirit fills that space and enables us to do that which we can't do on our own. talking to a couple of brothers this week and they said, Peter, I've been trying to practice that during my daily office. Three times a day, I've been just, I can't. <gasps> but you can't. Thinking about that temptation that's going to be waiting for me when I get home. <sighs> I can't. <gasps> but you can't. <sighs> I can't. <gasps> but you can't. And trying to discipline myself to get into this daily rhythm of being sensitive to his empowerment. And then last we talked about Allowing his leading and his influence to dominate our entire being. Listen, church, I just got to say this up there. For me, my journey to walking according to the Spirit began the day, the day that I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I want your will more than anything. I just literally said, God, I want your will more than finishing my education. I want your will more than being able to get married. God, I want your will more than being able to live here, move to that city. God, I want your will more than anything. I'm just here. God, here I am. Send me, use me. The moment that that prayer became my life posture is when I began to hear his voice. Where are you? Where am I? Is that our posture this morning saying, I want your will more than anything? I want you more than anything. So Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. We covered these verses last week. As we learn to walk according to the spirit, the outcome of that is not only will our behavior change, but our desires will change. True sustainable spiritual growth church cannot happen apart from and unless our desires change. When there is spiritual growth, when there's emotional health, we don't just do the right things. We begin to what? Love the right things. I'm telling you right now, you cannot grow spiritually by behavior modification. You cannot, I cannot grow spiritually by saying, I'm just going to change this, stop doing that, do this and discipline myself. Fundamentally, our affections have to be transformed. If my affections are not transformed, I will not be able to grow spiritually. And any change of transformation is temporary and superficial. And the work of the Holy Spirit is that he comes and he doesn't just change my behavior. He changes my affections. He changes my heart's desires. That's how true, sustainable, spiritual growth happens. When our heart's affections, and you'll see more why that is so critical. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious. And here we go now. Now we're going to talk about the second approach to life, which is walking according to the flesh. The word flesh here, there's two Greek words for flesh. One is body, material. The other is an entire approach to life. And Paul finally introduces us to what it means to walk according to the flesh. And here it is. Put the definition up there, please. Let's read this together. Okay? Here we go. Walking according to the flesh is trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place by retaining control over my life and ultimately giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. Question, how many of us are walking according to the flesh? Trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. Do you know how ingrained this is in our culture? Google, don't do it right now. Google self-help and press result and see how many hits you get. I did. 158 billion. We live in a culture that has ingrained us to go, self can help. Pull yourself by the bootstraps, determination, and you can do it. The problem we all know is what? That self is insufficient to help the self get out of the mess that self got into. Amen? And when the self wants to do what the self wants to do, self normally does what the self wants to do, even though the self knows that the self is incompatible or unable to get the self out of the mess the self got into. And I've never heard anybody who got into real trouble and they prayed out, self, help me. Nobody. Nobody. And yet, 
We are so ingrained with this that even when it comes to our spiritual life, your approach this morning is self-help. Conversely, 25 years as a pastor, every single person I've heard share their testimony of how they changed and experienced transformation. Here's what they say. They never go, I was just more determined than anybody else. I just decided I was going to be more committed. What I hear is, I came to the end of myself. Pastor Peter, I thought I was all that. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I was resourceful enough. I thought I was strong enough. I, and I came to the end of myself. And I said, you're just going to have to do it, God, because I can't. People in AA call it hitting rock bottom. Can I just tell you something? This might be bad news for some of us. I've never seen anybody, never seen anybody learn to walk according to the Spirit without hitting rock bottom. And I've never seen anybody hit rock bottom without going through emotional, mental valleys that we hate with the passion. I've never seen anybody in your pastor's personal testimony I've never seen anybody get to that place of being dependent on the Spirit without going through seasons of brokenness and desperation. Never. You can't learn this intellectually. This is why the mental, physical, emotional valleys that we hate often hold the most fertile soil when it comes to spiritual growth. See, I'm just going to say this right here. Most of us are just running our own shows, running our own lives, until we hit rock bottom. And we realize, God, I've been living my life from the perspective of, God, I've got my plans and do my thing. I just need you to come on board, okay? Until the bottom drops out and we can't do a thing. And that's when we become pliable, willing to do anything. I'm going to ask right now, saints, how many of you know what I'm talking about right now? There's nobody in here who will tell you that the experience spiritual breakthrough without that. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because it's so ingrained within us to do my own thing, my own determination. Why would I need the spirit even though I give lip service until God brings us to that place of I can't. And that's when God says, finally, we're ready to do something. And I'm telling you, good news, you don't have to pray for this. It comes anyway. Question, same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Meaning it's not the discipline or the bottom that does the change. It's how you respond to it. You could be broken and saying, God, use me. Or you could harden yourself and saying, how dare you? Walking according to the flesh 
my determination, my strength, until we become broken. Then all of a sudden, the Bible comes alive. (laughs) And the Bible becomes a different book because we've become a different person. See, God is always speaking through his word. Always speaking through his word. I found this little gem in Jeremiah chapter 7, 13. Check this out. While you have been sinning, I have been trying to talk to you, but you refuse to listen. God has been speaking all along in his word, in our hearts. It's just that we needed to come to a place to be able to hear and to listen. Second thing about walking according to the flesh is what? It's retaining control over my life. Anybody here this morning pray this prayer ever in your life? God, please don't ask me to. Can I get an amen? Anybody? As soon as we say, God, please don't ask me to. Fill in the blank. To move there. Do that. Give this up. As soon as you utter those words, you have retained control. As soon as our hearts pray, don't ask me to whatever, we are in control. And newsflash, we are not in control of anything. Hello? Can I say that again? We are not in control of anything. And the fear of that is so scary that we live with the illusion that we are in control. And our culture is obsessed with the illusion that we are in control. Why do we forecast the economy like it's the weather? Why are some sections of Christian communities obsessed with the book of Revelation? This boggles my mind. There's so many books written on the book of Revelation. Sometimes I feel like God's going, really? I didn't even mean that. (laughs) Denomination leaders are obsessed with future of denominations. Why? It's control. Problem is, problem is, we're not qualified to sit in the driver's seat. It's too big for us. Or another way, we're unqualified for the job of sitting on the throne. That's why you're so scared. You ever take on a job that you're not capable of? It freaks you out. That's why we're so anxious. We could walk according to the spirit, but in order to do so, we have to hand over the keys. We have to hand over the keys and say, God, you drive. And one of the benefits and gifts of handing over the keys is peace. Why? Because if I live with the illusion that I'm in control, I'm going to drive everybody crazy with my need for control. But when I hand over the keys, I trust that not longer is God in charge, but he is in charge of the outcomes. Repeat that after me. I am not. Repeat after me. I am not. I am not in charge of the outcome. I am not. In charge of the outcome. One more time. I am not in charge of the outcome. I could raise my kids to the best of my ability. I'm not in charge of their outcome. I could plan my future to the best of my ability, but I'm not in charge of the outcome. If you think you're actually in charge of the outcome, anxiety, worry, need for control. And then the third part of walking according to the flesh is giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. <laughs> Was that one of those, yes, that's you? <laughs> I think it was a supernatural Holy Spirit going, we're going to flash your junk for all the world to see. 
99% of marriage counseling for me boils down to you are being driven by fear and insecurity and you're making this all about you. When you and I walk according to the flesh, we become completely self-absorbed and becomes me, me, my time, my energy, my priorities, my job, my, 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 me, me, me. And walking according to the Spirit leads to an absolutely other-centered life. The amazing thing about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is He is constantly out to exalt Jesus, glorify Jesus, magnify Jesus. He is constantly deflecting attention to Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful. And someone who's walking according to the Spirit is able to live this life in such a way that instead of me, 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 it's constantly turned outward saying, you, you, you. May I ask you a question? If God answered all of your prayers in the last 30 days, would anything in the world change or just your world change? If God answered every single one of your prayers in the last 30 days, would anything in the world change or just your world change? My needs, my desires, my appetites. Now I gotta wrap this up. Then what Paul does is this, and we're gonna do this week. What happens when we according to flesh and next week, what happens when we walk according to the spirit? What Paul does from verses 19 on, is he gives us a result list. These aren't things we go, look, go, I don't want to do that. I shouldn't do that. This is inevitably what happens when you walk according to the flesh. Look at this list. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a result list. This is a great sign of, am I walking according to the flesh? And I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm just going to mention two. That is sorcery, or in some of your Bibles, witchcraft, and the other is idolatry. What is sorcery? Sorcery is when you and I try and manipulate the supernatural for our own benefit. See, if I said, are there any witches in the house today? People would be like, oh, witches in the house? But if I said, anybody here try and manipulate God to do your bidding rather than submitting yourself to do his bidding, all of our hands would go up today. Do you know how we try and manipulate God? By being good. By being moral. Church people are the worst, by the way. Church people are the worst. I'm serving. I'm praying. I'm doing this stuff. I'm doing all these things. I'm giving generously. Then life doesn't work out the way we want it to. Then all of a sudden, hardships and trials come our way. Then all of a sudden, things don't come our way like that we wanted to. And our response isn't one of God. This was never about me. It was about you. Our response is, how dare you? We're the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I have slaved for you all these years. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Do you know how often I see this in church? Why are you doing what you're doing? Who is it for? You or is it for God? Who are you doing it for? 
Are you the older brother? I'm slaving away. I'm keeping myself out of trouble. I'm not sleeping around. I'm coming to church. I'm praying. I'm doing all these things that you're doing. And then we lose a job. And then she says no. And then trials and trials come my way. And our response is one of God. I don't deserve this. And the whole time... On the surface, it looks like, God, I'm about your will. But the whole time, we're manipulating God to do our bidding. And when life doesn't work out, our response is one of, what do you think you're doing? Flesh says manipulate. Spirit says follow. Flesh says my way. Spirit says your way. Flesh says this is what I need. Spirit says you're all that I want. The other is idolatry. Idolatry is when good things become ultimate things. Idolatry is when we take the gifts of God and make them more important than God. Idol is whatever you and I look at to say in our heart of hearts. If I have that, then my life is meaning. If I have that, then I'm okay. If I have that, then I'm significant. Which means that whatever it is that we have placed in the idol, it absolutely controls us. We today are completely being controlled by whatever it is that we worship. Some of you are sitting there going, I'm not enslaved. I'm totally free. How can you say you're totally free when that thing that you freely chose to do, now you can't live without? None of us is free in this room. We are enslaved to something. We are in worship of something. We are serving something. And I've said this to you guys over and over again for the last eight weeks. Don't ask, am I happy? Ask, am I free? Don't ask, am I happy? Our culture that's so obsessed with happiness is delusional. You'll never be happy unless you're free. As Paul says in this entire section, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be again uh, burdened again by yoke of slavery. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Nobody this morning, listen to me, is free. We're all enslaved to something. We're all serving something. It's either God or something that we've created. Uh, Why is this important? Here's why it's important. The inevitable result of walking according to the flesh is idol making and being completely enslaved. So how does that work, Peter? Why does, we already saw the clues in verse 17. Look what Paul says. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. The word desire, every time you see in the Bible, listen, is not evil. It's inordinate desire. It's over desire. Inordinate, over, out of proportion desire. And what the Bible says is when you walk according to the flesh, you take perfectly good things and you suck that thing into the center of your heart. And then you say about that thing, if I have this, I know I'm okay. If I don't, I'm worthless. So we take things like career, a perfectly good thing in and of itself, and wanting to be successful. But walking according to the flesh will take career, suck it into the center of our heart, and all of a sudden we say, if I'm successful, then I'm somebody. If I'm not, then I'm worth nothing. 
and we sacrifice our families on the altar of success. Or some of you, you're moving up the corporate ladder and you're actually lying and compromising values you said you would never compromise. Why? When career becomes an idol because it's been sucked into the center of our hearts, we don't just look at it and go, well, I want to be successful so I can do God's work. We go, I want to be successful so that people will know that I'm somebody. Human approval. None of us, none of us, none of us in here would say, I don't care if people, we all desire to have good reputation, having a good name. But what walking according to the flesh will do is it'll take human approval, suck it into the center of our hearts, it creates an inordinate desire, and we say, unless these people like me, unless they like me, then I'm nothing. And we are absolutely controlled by what people think about us. It'll take children, parents, Children are a gift from the Lord. But walking according to the flesh will take children, suck them into the center of our hearts and say, unless my children are happy, unless they're successful, I'm a terrible parent. And I don't know who I am. And we put crushingly unrealistic expectations on our children. And, you know, in their mid-20s, they wind up in new community. <laughs> Those who are by the way, so many, so, some of us that are really harsh on our parents, you realize once you become a parent, you become a little more gracious towards your parents. Can I get an amen? Because the need and the want to take our children and to say, we want to see them do well, we want them to be successful, we want them. It's one thing to do that, but to say, my hopes rest on how my kids turn out will ruin you, it'll crush you. If you are faking your foundation identity, how your children work out, it will utterly, utterly crush you, parents. I officiate a wedding last uh, Saturday, Sunday. And I say this every wedding I officiate. I look at the two couple and I go, you and you. (laughs) If you base your entire identity on this marriage, you will ruin it and you will crush it. Yes, I actually say that in front of their family and friends. I go, if you are looking for each other to meet the deepest needs of your heart that only God can meet, you will ruin your marriage. Every marriage should have one of those signs on it that you see in roads, on bridges that say no more than two tons. Why? You put more weight on this than it can handle and it will crumble. I could go on and on and on. My question is, what have you taken and sucked into the center of your heart, created an inordinate desire saying, unless I have this, I am somebody. If I don't, I am nothing. But that is the inevitable result of walking according to the flesh. How do we overcome this? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Go to the gospel, of course. What do I mean? You can't. CC, come on up, please. We're going to be done. You cannot. Listen, please, listen. Inordinate desire and idols, you can't just uproot it and go, there it goes. No more. Why? Because before you turn around, something else will go in its place. Okay? Oh, 
That was a convicting sermon. So I will not make marriage my idol. Foop, there it goes. And then as soon as you turn around, career. Well, career is my idol and I will uproot it. As soon as you turn around, relationships. You can't deal with idols and walking according to flesh by just uprooting it. You have to replace it with something. What do you replace it with? Paul tells us. In verse 24, I love this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Come on, church. Read those powerful, wonderful, life-giving, spiritually refreshing truth with me. Ready? Here's what Paul says his answer is. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. How do you deal with the inordinate desires? How do you deal with the out of control passions? Do you do it by saying myself and determination and mind? No. How do you deal with it? You turn to the gospel and you say, I know that I already belong. I know that I already belong. I need to remind myself that I already belong. It is not. It is not. Crucify your desires. Deal with your idols. Then you will belong. That's religion. Gospel says you already belong. Now go. Crucify sinful desires. I thought about this this week. (laughs) Every single one of us in this room, here's what we have in common. We all want to belong, yes, to something, someone. That's why when your pastor goes to officiate these weddings and I'm at a reception and I don't know anybody, I just want to run to the hills. Why? Because I desperately, I des- I'm like, nah, nah, this, I feel really uncomfortable. And I'm not the, you know, go up to random strangers. And when until the guy that I met, Ross, comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor Peter, we have a table for you. I'm like, thank you. So it was right there. It's with my dad and my mom and some of our family. Now you think it's dumb? I walked over there and in the sense of like, we're up to, okay. And that. That's cosmic, you know. It's not just, well, you're in short. No, no, no. That longing is cosmic. The longing to belong is cosmic. Why? Because the Bible says that there was a time when we walked with God. When we walked with God in the cool of the day. There was a time when we knew in our heart of hearts that we belonged. We belonged. There's security. There's a, we belonged. No doubt. No fear. No anxiety. There was a time in which we knew with absolute certainty, I belong. And God says, yeah. It's the moment that we decided, I know better. I'm going to trust in my determination, my strength. I'm going to let my desires and my appetites, I'm going to let my own rule of my own kingdom dictate what I do. The Bible says we were cast out from that fellowship and belonging and physically, literally removed. And the Bible says Christ Jesus comes and he does what? He breaks open the veil in the temple and that barrier that existed between us and God is now open so that we could belong. Do you know that the word belong right here is covenant language? It's covenant language. It's what you find in the Old Testament when God says, I am your God and you will be my people. 
I am committed to you. Will you be committed to me? It's covenantal language. And the Bible says, until and unless you and I come to recognize that in Christ, I belong. Is that good news to anybody this morning? In Christ, I belong. There's no need for shame. There's no need for guilt. I belong because of what Christ has done. I am in, man. And there's nothing that could remove me from belonging to Christ. It's when you and I have that knowledge and that awareness and that truth is powerfully at work in our hearts. What is all of our law for idols, oh, inordinate desires? It's a desperate desire to belong. And the Bible says, don't you see, Annette, you belong to me and I belong to you. Do you know this is so important for community too? Community. Look at one of my favorite authors said, those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. I love that. For eight weeks, we talked about emotional healthy spirituality, how if we live our lives pretending with masks, we will never be fully known. And if you are never fully known, you can never be fully loved. It's only when you and I are fully known that we can be fully loved and find wholeness. But it's only when we know, I belong, I belong to Christ, that we can say, I'm going to take off my mask. I'm going to stop pretending. Here's me. And I have a community of people come around us and say, we're here for you. Church, (laughs) those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who know they belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified their passions and sinful desires. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to stand or, or come forward. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In your bulletins, you are given orange cards. These cards are specifically prayer request cards that we have been asking you to fill out, to pray throughout our capital campaign, but more importantly, this upcoming 24-hour prayer vigil where men and women are going to intercede for every single man, woman, child, baby, life in this church. And what I want to ask you to do this morning is before you get up and walk out in fellowship and, and town hall for the next minute or so, be really quiet and listen to the prompting because I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit has spoken and will speak. And what I want and need you to do is hand and paper 
pen and paper. Don't just think it in your mind. There is something powerful about taking your hand, putting a pen in your hand, and physically writing down. I need you to write down on that card a prayer or two. It could be, God, here is what my idol is. Because he already knows. Not surprising to him, but it'll be freeing to you. This is the thing that has caused inordinate, out-of-control desire in me. This is what controls me. Please allow the gospel's truth to know that I belong. Give me the power and motivation to replace it with you. Would you do that for me? Pen and paper, anonymous. You don't have to write your name unless you want us to know who you are. Put on there, put on there the idol that you struggle with and pray that the Spirit allow the gospel truth to come. The second thing you can do with that card is it may have nothing to do with what I preach on today, but as you sit there, God will speak right now and prompt something in your heart about a change, about a direction, about something you need to stop doing, about something you need to start doing, about something, as he's been speaking all along, even in our sin. And maybe this morning, you've come to a place and a posture of being able to listen. Write a prayer request about what you need the Spirit to be able to do in and through you. Write a prayer request of what it is that God might be prompting your heart with. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. Hold on to it. Pray over it in the next couple minutes. And then I'm going to pray for a tithe and offering. And we're going to sing this last song and I'm going to dismiss you. So right now in the quietness of your heart, you don't have to wonder if God's speaking. He is. He is. Just listen. Take time to do that right now. Take time to do that right now. to do that right now. God speak. God speak. God speak. God speak. God speak. a minute or two more and again hold this dear to you and then at the end you can drop these off in the offering bag along with your tithes and offering make sure you do
You know, before I pray, I'm particularly being prompted right now to pray. Please listen for men and women. who are at the end of the rope and you walked in here today. I don't know you personally, but there's some folks sitting right now who are sitting saying, God, I don't know if I can take another step. I just want you to know that our God is for you. I just want you to know that our God is with you. I just want you to know that you are in the palm of his hands. I just want you to know that he has not forsaken you nor forgotten you. I just want you to know that he aches and hurts with you. I want you to know that he says he has not finished the good work that he has begun in you. I want you to know, I want you to know that even in moments when you feel utterly alone and that nobody understands that he does And that he is with you. I just want you to know. If you feel like you can't take another step. That his desire is that he would carry you. That he would sustain you. That he. do for you what you can't do or imagine doing. And he says, do not be afraid. For I am with you. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. He wants you to know that. 